Part 3 of Isle of the Undead by Lloyd Arthur Eschbach. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part 3 The Steps of Torture. A gigantic hall lay before them, a single chamber whose walls were the walls of the castle, whose arched ceiling rose far above them. Directly below their window, a stone platform jutted from the wall, spreading entirely across the chamber. A stone altar squatted in the center of the platform, a strangely phosphorescent fire smoldering on its top. And from the altar descended a wide, wide stairway, ending in the middle of the hall. All this... Cliff saw in a single sweeping glance. Afterward, he had eyes for nothing save the lethal horror of a mad, mad scene revealed by the dim radiance of the altar fire. Behind the altar stood five huge figures clad in long, hooded cloaks of scarlet. The central figure had arms raised wide, his cloak spread like the wings of some bloody bird of prey, and from his lips came a guttural incantation, a blasphemous chant in archaic Latin, in time with the wheeze of the buried organ. Now his arms dropped, and he was silent. From the room below came a concerted whine of ceremonial devotion, a hollow, hungry wail. It rose from the bloodless lips of strangely assorted human figures, ranging down the center of the long stairway in two facing columns. A hundred or more there must have been, representing half as many periods and countries, according to their strange and ancient costumes. Men in the armor of medieval Persia, the crew of the Black Galley. Yellow-haired Vikings, hawk-faced Egyptians with leather-brown skins, half-naked islanders, red-sashed pirates from the Spanish main, men of today. And about all, like the dampness that clings to a tombstone, hovered a cloud of death, the undead. Cliff's gaze roved over the tensely waiting columns, then leapt to the foot of the stairs. There, cowering dumbly like sheep in a slaughter pen, were his friends from the Ariel. All clothing had been stripped from them, and they stood, waiting, in waxen, statuesque stiffness. He saw, then, that three others lay prone before the stone altar, naked and ominously still. And far down at the very end of the hall stood Leon Corio, draped in a hooded cape of unbroken black, a glint of silver in his hand, his horn of drugging sounds. Now, as though at a silent command, a girl left the group and began to mount the stairs, as those motionless three must have mounted. Vivacious Anne, she had been the life of Cliff's yacht party. 
But now she was changed. Her blanched face was rigid with inexpressible terror, despite the semi-stupor which numbed her senses. Her nude body glowed like marble in the dim light. Horribly, her feet began their climb with a little catch step, suggested by the moaning chant of that cracked organ note. She reached the first of the undead, and Cliff saw light glint on a knife blade. A crimson gash appeared in the flesh of her thigh, and dead lips touched that wound, drank thirstily. The girl strode on, blood gleaming darkly on the white skin. A second drank of the crimson flow, a third, and the blood ceased gushing forth. Another knife flashed, and lips closed again and again on a redly dripping wound, and the girl, with the unchanging pace of a robot, climbed the stairway to its very top, climbed while fiendish corpses drank her life's blood, climbed to sink down on the altar. One of the red-clad figures stooped over her, lifted her, buried long teeth in her throat, and Cliff saw his face. His own face paled, and talons of fear raked his brain. Those others on the stairs, they were abhorrent, zombies freed from the grave. But this monster, a vampire, vested with the lust and cruelty and power of hell. He lowered her, finally, and she sank down, lay still, beside the other three. Another began the hellish climb, a giant of a man with a thickly muscled torso. Cliff knew him instantly, and his heart seemed to stop. Leslie Stark... They had played football together, a brave man, a fighter. He mounted the stairway with the same little catch step, the same plodding stiffness. No resistance, no struggle, only a hell of fear on his face. The marrow melted from Cliff Darrell's bones. What, what could he do? against a power that did that to less stark. He tried to swallow, but the saliva had dried on his tongue. He wanted to turn to Vilma, but he could not wrench his eyes from the frightful spectacle. Up the stone steps, Stark strode, and no blade leapt toward him, no thirsty lips closed on his flesh. In an unwavering line, he mounted toward the cowled monster in the center of the dais, like a puppet on the end of a string, mounted to pause before the stone altar, to lie on it, head bent back, throat bared. Mercifully, Cliff regained enough control to close his eyes. 
he opened them at a gasp from Vilma, saw the vampire raise the flaccid body of Les Stark and hurl it far from him to crash to the stone steps, to roll and thud and tumble down and down sickeningly, to lie awkwardly twisted on the floor before his companions. And another began to climb the long stone steps. All through the interminable night, Cliff and Vilma crouched on the ledge, staring through the barred window. A hundred times they would have fled to escape the maddening scene, but they could not move. Senses reeled before the awful monotony of the ceaseless climbing. Their eyes smarted with fixed staring. Their tongues and throats were parched to desert dryness. Yet only after hours of endless watching, only after the last victim had climbed the steps, did the edge of terror dull, and the modicum of control return to their bodies. Stiffly, Cliff looked over his shoulder. A faint tinge of gray rimmed the sea on the eastern horizon. Almost daylight, he whispered hoarsely. Vilma nodded, her gaze still held by that chamber of horror. Cliff followed the direction of her eyes and saw Corio, standing like a great bat in his hooded cape, close to the far wall. He raised his four-piped horn to his lips, and the instrument's fourth note crept through the room. It was a doleful sound, a cry like the cry death itself might possess. Yet, oddly and horribly, it was soothing, promising the peace of endless sleep. And touched by its power, the columns of undead stiffened, thinned to wraiths, flowed as water flows down the stone steps, vanished. The dead alive, those five vampires in crimson cowls, looked upward uneasily. The shadows under the roof were graying with the light of dawn. Cliff could sense their thought. Before sunrise, they must be in their tombs under the castle to sleep until another night. With one accord, they strode down the stairs past Corio, who had prostrated himself, and entered a black opening in the wall. With their departure, the altar fire dimmed to a sullen ember. Corio arose. He was alone in the chamber, save for that dead, broken body lying in a twisted heap at the foot of the stairs, and those other half-alive wretches stretched out before the altar. Now, Cliff told himself, was the time for him to get in there at Corio. Now was the time to rescue his friends. But he continued to crouch, unmoving. Again, Corio blew on his silver horn, and a faint cry leapt from Vilma's tensed lips. 
the luring note that had drawn her, Cliff thought hazily. Then he thought of nothing save the sound, the sound that promised him all he could desire. Earth and its dominion, his for the taking, if he answered that call. Then even the sound eluded his senses, and he heard only the promise. He must answer, must claim what was rightfully his. But those half-dead creatures, the sight of their stirring steadied his staggering sanity. Here and there heads lifted, and bloodless husks of bodies tried to rise. In the pallid light, they seemed like corpses, freed from newly opened graves. Some could only reach their knees, others rose to uncertain limbs, and all moved down the stairway toward Corio, answering his summons followed as he made his slow way toward the opening in the wall, still blowing the single note, the note that promised earth and all it held. Cliff glanced toward Vilma, and she was not there. He looked down, saw her far below, dropping from crack to crevice with amazing speed and daring, hastening toward Corio. The thought jarred any lingering taint of allurement from Cliff's mind. He must stop her. He swung around, ignoring the cramped stiffness of his legs, and started down the steep wall. Down, down, recklessly, with Corio's horn note only a faintly heard sound fading behind him. Now he saw Vilma reach the rocks below and dash around the corner of the castle, and he cursed, redoubling his speed. Down, down, and suddenly the ancient rock crumbled underfoot. For an instant he hung from straining fingertips, then dropped. A smashing impact, a stone that slid beneath him, and his head crashed against the castle wall. Through a fiery mist of pain, he pictured Vilma in the grasp of Corio. The mist thickened, grew black, engulfed him. End of Part 3